Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. After a couple weeks, good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, July uh, 13th. Ooh, Friday the 13th. Uh, this week, episode 251 comes to you from Studio C and McKee's Rocks. We're still in Studio C. Studio D is close, but not quite there. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Here with me in the studio is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hey, Joe. Welcome back. It's it's. It's good. It's great to be back. I mean, at the controls is our engineer, Roxy V, Val Bender. Hi, everyone. <laughs> no microphone for Roxy V. <laughs> joining us from Carnegie. There you go. All right. Joining us will be our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil. Today's segments include, we've got the IAQ radio trivia question and interview. We're going to talk to Dan Stadford from the NADCA Board of Directors, and we're going to talk a little bit about a new position paper they've released on chemicals in HVAC systems. And then we've got our halftime, and of course we'll finish with the roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our Smart Key sponsors. Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing services for the restoration industry for fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing. Learn more about them at www.netclaimsnow.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleancleanfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services. All right. To listen to the show, obviously, you just go to the IAQ Radio website, and it's iaqradio.com. Follow the link that says go to the show. Uh, you can also stream the shows after the show is over at our homepage. You can either stream or you can, again, follow that link that says go to the show and then download them by right-clicking on the download button. Save it to your favorite MP3 player. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe.
win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, text in your answer. Congratulations. To Andy Przoski, Concast Medals in Mars PA for being the first person to identify Jacob Amon as the Swiss religious leader who founded the Anabaptist religious sect, which eventually became known as the Amish. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, July 13, 2012, has been sponsored by Cochrane & Associates, the indoor air quality industry's dedicated marketing and public relations firm. Learn more about their services by phoning them at 602-510-3179. Now for this week's trivia question. What causes the sound of thunder? Back to you, Joe. Okay. and That, that was a good trivia, by the way, with our guest, Dr. Harriet Alman. Right. So, very nice. Since 1978... Dan Stratford has been the chief executive officer of Action Duct Cleaning Company. They're based in the Los Angeles area. They have serviced clients in more than 15 states across the United States, and they uh, service some Fortune 500 companies and an interesting group of celebrity clients, including Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the old governor too, huh? Roseanne Barr, Don Rickles, Buddy Hackett, and others. Don is currently a member of the Board of Directors of the National Air Duct Cleaners Association. He's been a NADCA member for over 20 years. He's published more than 250 articles and recently was the chairman of the task force that created NADCA's position paper on the use of chemical products in HVAC systems. He's also an author and recently released the book, The Men's Code of Honor, 66 Principles That Make a Man. So let's uh, get some music for our guest. Hello, Dan. Welcome to IAQ Radio. Hey there, Joe. I'm done right here. We got you great. We've had a we had a hiccup or two, which is why we're moving the studio. But hey, you know we can fix this in uh, editing. That seems to happen when I walk into the room. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good song too. So yeah. it, it was a good one. So we'll fix that. I know you will. Yeah, yeah. We have our ways. You know? I know. No, no. Val has her ways. Val has her ways. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. All right, Dan. Let's get started here. How did you get involved in this? You know, this HVAC. I call it HVAC. HVAC cleaning world. People call it duct cleaning. I don't like that term, but uh, let's use HVAC cleaning. How'd you get started in it? Oh, boy, that goes back quite a way. Uh, I was uh, living in Los Angeles, and uh, I was I was working uh, for a fellow who was doing it, and he went out of the business, and, and uh, so uh, I kind of took over a, a handful. We were doing grease exhaust back then. Uh, we're still doing, in fact, uh, kitchen exhaust cleaning uh, for restaurants, and uh, uh, I just saw that there was a big need in, in the HVAC cleaning business, so we started branching out into that and uh, uh, just kept growing. It was uh, there, back then there wasn't no Nedga, there was no place to buy tools that you know uh, like there is today. So uh, 
we kind of developed our own rules, and uh, it was kind of a cowboy pioneer thing. But we kept growing, and uh, we became one of the larger companies in California, and uh, done pretty well. I've been uh, really, you know, it's paid the bills, and uh, and I certainly enjoy, uh, you know, troubleshooting for clients and uh, solving their problems, and that's we we do all, all kinds of ducts. We still do kitchen exhaust cleaning. We do the HVAC systems are about half of our services, and we do about uh, uh, we do a lot of dryer duct cleaning and that sort of thing. Okay, and. Cliff, you want well, I, I guess, you know, um, I, I think they commonly say that, you know, California and granola have flakes, fruits, and nuts uh, in common. And, uh, you know, I was wondering, what's the, the granola state. Right, right. What's the, uh, what's the business environment like now in California? You know, it, it's, it's been pretty brutal when the, after the recession hit because uh, unemployment is still close to 11%. We're one of the highest in the nation. And, uh, the duct cleaning uh, industry got hit really hard because uh, HVAC cleaning is, um, sometimes it's a necessity, you have to get it done, but other times it's a bit of a luxury, you know, and when they're doing uh, renovations or, in fact, renovations have slowed down generally, uh, government contracts have slowed down quite a bit, and and so you've got uh, uh, the same number of people, in fact, you have even more people because there are people, when companies have downsized, there's other guys who've tried to start out on their own. Uh, who they've let go, and and that makes the pie. It makes even more more uh, piranhas going for that little that little piece of meat out there, you know. So, uh, but fortunately, we've been around over thirty years, so we've got a very large client base, and uh, we still have a lot of clients who have done what we're doing well, and, and we're pretty popular. So we've done well. We're not doing as well as we were when the recession hit, that's for sure. But uh, we're 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 doing okay. And uh, but yes, the HVAC cleaning industry has been hit hard. In, in California, it's particularly Southern California. There are certain sections of the state that are uh, not so bad. Uh, San Diego is, is improved more. Uh, uh, L.A. is still uh, hard hit. And, in fact, there's a section near L.A. called San Bernardino Riverside area, which was really hard hit, even even probably one of the worst areas of the state. So uh, it's coming along. We're, we're getting there, uh, and uh, we're hoping that... Uh, you know, you can't leave it up to the, you can't wait for the politicians to solve it. You just kind of have to roll up your sleeves and get inventive and uh, uh, find out what your clients need and, and make sure you deliver it. You know, as a follow-up question, you know, being on the board of, of NATCA, you have the opportunity to talk and, you know, discuss matters with your peers. Do you have any special challenges in California that, your colleagues um, in the duct cleaning business elsewhere don't have? You know, that's, that's a really interesting question. Uh, I, I would say, uh, in fact, we, we actually have, uh, we are missing a challenge. Uh, we don't have a big mold issue in Southern California area. Uh, uh, we do run into mold, uh, but not, not as much. Uh, another issue is that, uh, oddly enough, I'm one of the, I think I may be the first in California to, to represent California uh, uh, on the board of uh, NADCA. So I've, I've heard definitely from California members saying, hey, it's nice to have a voice in NADCA, because most of the guys, uh, everybody else on the board is from Nebraska on eastward. Uh, so uh, that, that's really been the biggest thing I've heard from other NADCA members. Uh, so it's, we really don't know. Uh, because I, I'm just now, uh, I was elected to the board in March, and so we're just now starting to get information. I know one one of the issues we face is that uh, the specs, we run into a lot of specs uh, calling for uh, 
uh, jobs to be done according to NADCA standards that are no longer that are from the 1990s. And so uh, we, we're, you know, we've got some work to do to get the uh, spec writers to upgrade their upgrade the specs uh, in our in the, in the West. I don't know if that's going on in the East or not, uh, but that certainly has been one of the big challenges uh, that I've heard about. Again, mold. Uh, we, you know, there's a lot of training in that on mold, rightfully so, because it's, it's terrific. I know one of the board members is from Louisiana, where mold is everyday thing down there. But we just don't have that much water in the west here, so we, uh, except maybe up in the north, there's some some areas. So that's an area that uh, mold is not a big focus uh, where we are. Hmm. Now, we we talked about we we promoted the show based on the new position paper, I guess, using chemical products in HVAC systems. And you were the chair of that committee. And what we'd like to kind of start with is why did NADCA find it necessary or decide for whatever reason to focus so much attention on developing a position paper on this subject? Well, this has been an issue that's been in the works for years. Uh, uh, probably the, the biggest uh, issue was the fact that we've got a lot of uh, uh, HVAC cleaning companies out there who are not mad members uh, who market the fact that they disinfect and sanitize ductwork. And uh, NADCA, on the other hand, has been advising its members you can't be saying that because it's uh, it, that does not comply with federal regulations. And so it's been disheartening to NACA members. How do you compete then if you've got uh, these non-NACA members making these claims, even though they're illegal? Uh, isn't there some way that we, some, some official document we can refer to to point out to clients and to uh, point out to uh, even uh, government uh, officials, hey, th- this is a false claim that these guys are making? So. That was one of the big issues. Of course, the, there are lots of other issues dealing with chemicals. One is safety. Uh, there's carcinogens that, that are used uh, for cleaning. Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, not only safety for, for the workers using the, the products, but for the clients themselves. So some guidance is needed there. Uh, there's, uh, you know, things of what can you use under what circumstances. We want to make sure the things were clear there as well. Uh, but the, uh, again, the, the biggest thing is certainly that we've heard back from from the membership uh, when we've uh, completed the papers. Thank you, thank you, because now we've got an official document, and the the, the rules are, are very straightforward. Uh, one of the problems we were having, uh, and the reason uh, that it took a while to get the paper uh, done, was that the wording uh, we had different parties. EPA had had uh, a definite stance on the matter. It was kind of it seemed confusing because the wording of it wasn't just right. Uh, because the fact is, is you can use disinfectants and sanitizers are, are products that have been uh, uh, labeled as such in certain parts of an air conditioning system, an HVAC system. You can use them in the air handler in certain parts of the air handler on coils, for example, or drain pans. But uh, those same products, you can use those same products in the duct system, some of them, a few of them, but when you use them in the duct system, they are not classified as sanitizers or disinfectants, so you can't make that claim. And so that obviously that's very confusing. Uh, if you think, well, wait a minute, how can I say I'm sanitizing the drain pan, but I'm not sanitizing the duct? Well, that's because they're not registered for that purpose. 
in the ductwork. They're only registered for sanitizing or disinfecting in the drain pan or, or, or on the coils. And so we, we had to make that very, very clear. Right now, there is no uh, chemical that has been registered for sanitizing or disinfecting ductwork. Uh, the word sanitize or the verb uh, disinfectant or sanitizer or disinfectant, these have very clear definitions within the EPA. And, and in fact, they uh, cited the definitions we used in the position paper were uh, cited verbatim from the EPA, the EPA representative who went back with her seniors and she, you know, she met with them and said, all right, how are we going to uh, word this? So we feel very fortunate. We got, we got it directly from the horse's mouth. Um, so, the, so we got exact definitions of what a disinfectant is, what is a sanitizer, and the, the stuff that you can use on ductwork uh, are uh, what they call stats. Uh, there's a chemical that curbs uh, microbial growth, uh, and th there's a difference in definition between that and a sanitizer or a disinfectant. So you can use a fungistat, an algae stat, a bacteria stat on inside the ductwork uh, to curb the growth and keep it down, but uh, you can't say that you're disinfecting and so, or, or that you're sanitizing. So any claim uh, out there that, that you see by uh, non-NAGCA members or even NAGCA members, and I, I even saw one by a chemical manufacturer that's saying that we, you can sanitize the HVAC system. Well, that's, that's not correct usage of the word. So now they have an official document to back them up on their claims. That, I'm sorry, when they go to their customers and say, I'm sorry, ma'am, I can treat your ductwork, but I can't say I'm sanitizing. And so uh, that's, that's one of the main reasons we put this paper together. Now, but people are still saying this every day. What's the next, you know, what's the next step in, in trying to help NADCA members who are trying to compete against people who are claim, making claims that aren't legal claims per what we just discussed? Well, we don't have any recommendations in the paper itself as to, because the paper is simply about the use of chemical products. Sure. Uh, what you're talking about is how do you deal with this on a legal level or uh, maybe a, a, a public relations level. Uh, or is, it's going to take a while for this. Yeah. Or is EPA maybe yeah, you know, going to do something? Yes, the APA can act on this. This is there's a there's a law the uh, FIFRA. I, I forget the full name. Federal Insecticide Fungicide Rosenticide Act, um, and uh, it's F I F R A uh, that uh, says that you can you know, a person who makes a uh, who is using a product not in accordance with the instructions on the label, uh, which is what which is what you're doing if you're claiming you're sanitizing something. Um, with with a product that doesn't sanitize, that's not registered for that, uh, then then you can file a claim with the Environmental Protection State, uh, uh, Agency uh, uh, against this, this individual or this company, and uh, if if they're found guilty of this, they can be uh, you know, levied with fines, and, and I, I don't know if imprisonment is involved, but certainly uh, fines are involved. It's uh, it's you know it's pretty stiff if you make a claim like that. Well. Let me ask a quick question, then I'd like to bring Cliff in a little on this conversation because he's got a little expertise in the area. Maybe we can go over the antimicrobial issue just a bit. But um, before we do, I'm curious, 
Dan, who else was involved in in developing this paper? I'd like to give credit to the you know to the entire group. You mentioned EPA. Is there someone in particular we should mention? Or absolutely. And you know, I just realized I, I uh, let me see if I can get my list of contributors because uh, they were a. Uh, uh, this was a really phenomenal panel. I put it together, and I just realized I didn't bring it with me uh, for this uh, interview. No problem. Uh, let me see. I got a lot of them here. We can, you know, while you're looking at that, I want to bring Cliff in for a moment because, as many of our listeners know, Cliff manufactured these products for years and no longer does. But um, you were very involved. Was this? Well, we, I, 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 well, I think first of all, not only did we manufacture the products, but we did duct cleaning. We taught that's duct right, cleaning, that's right, and, yeah, you know, both on a commercial and residential level. So, okay, yeah. I'm just curious, do you the terms disinfecting and sanitizing? Is that all? Well, I, I think there's only um, one set of nomenclature that you can use, and that really is the EPA's nomenclature. I don't have any issues with that, and I think it's the correct and proper nomenclature. As a matter of fact, I think NATCA got that right. This document got it right, and I think other organizations got it wrong because they started playing around with, um, you know, the nomenclature and modifying it. You know, why is that, Cliff? I see, you know, ACGIH has their terminology. I think IICRC may have a slightly different terminology. Where does that come from? I I don't understand it. If I'm going to define something, I'm going to look to the government definition. That's typically the way. I would do it first. Any ideas or, or thoughts on why? I think there are other. I, I think you know any. You know, it's the same thing with Webster. A lot of times, they have multiple definitions okay. of, of the same word. I think different people look at it differently. I think they're different opinions, and I think in different fields, those words are a little bit different. Like you know, we're talking about sanitizing ductwork. You know, there's also sanitizers that are used. Um, you know, for instance, on our hands, there are sanitizers that are used for washing fruit and, and vegetables. There are sanitizers that are actually applied to meat, Okay. Uh, you know, meats that, that are being processed. And all of these products well, they are regulated by EPA. But, you know, for hand sanitizing, it's one thing. For, you know, products applied to meat, fruits, and vegetables, it's another. For products applied to hard surfaces that are inanimate. It's okay. different. So I think, number one, it depends whether it's an inanimate surface or a living surface in terms of, uh, but, you know, it's one of those things you could talk about all day. Well, I'm just curious. I never really got a chance to ask you that question, and I, it drove me crazy. And then I saw this document, and I said, Dan, one of the big questions I want to ask you is where did you get these definitions? And it seems to me like they're pretty much straight from EPA's FIFRA regulations. Is that accurate, Dan? Yeah, I, I, that I don't know. Uh, I, I just know that we got them directly verbally from the uh, uh, from Tracy Lance, who was the EPA representative for on on the uh, task force, and she got them. You could clearly see that she got them from official sources because she said, "This is how I want them defined. How we how the EPA needs them defined." And so uh, I, I don't know if it was different, but I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know, and, and before we move on, let me just break down for the listeners the categories you've got. You've got it broken down into, and, and we don't want to spend all day uh, on this. Know, before, go ahead. Go there, Joe. Uh, let me let me go over the contributors. You asked me about that. Please. So, uh, 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 Mike White was the uh, chairman of the Education Committee. This was a task force under the Education Committee, 
and uh, served as chairman. We had uh, about uh, six or seven guys who were uh, from the duct cleaning, uh, HVAC cleaning uh, field. We had uh, uh, several guys who uh, that were chemical manufacturers and or distributors uh, on the panel. We had uh, Dave Governo, who is an environmental uh, attorney. He was uh, very helpful uh, in guiding us with language and uh, with various concepts. And then, of course, we had Tracy Lance uh, from the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, I just want to let me name off these guys. They were. I was. I'll tell you. I. I also, in my uh, one of my other life lives, I run a nonprofit. And I work in the medical field with uh, a lot of doctors and and health professionals, and so I, I'm used to working with some pretty smart people. And I have to tell you, on this task force, these guys were as good or better than any of the doctors I've worked with. They were smart, and uh, it was it was a real uh, pleasure to to uh, have uh, uh, such uh, bright people contributing to this paper. I'll tell you, it was uh, a heck of a, a group. In fact, we're putting we've got a new paper we're working on right now on the use of uh, ozone in HVAC systems. And, uh, we're uh, I'm fortunate to have most of these people for the same uh, the same paper from the same uh, uh, subcommittee right now. Uh, Bob Baker was on there. Uh, Bob Baker is a, one of the, he's a chemical. I don't know if he does manufacturing. I know he does distributing. Um, yep, they manufacture. Uh, John Bentley, uh, again, Dave Governo, Dan Greenblatt from the East Coast, uh, Tim Hoysert, uh, uh, Richard Lance, Joe McDonald, Larry Robertson, and Cole Stanton. Cole Stanton works for Fiber, uh, Fiber Lock Technologies. Uh, so like I say, it was a, a, a real treat to work with all these guys, a, a real bright bunch of people. I'd say three or four have been guests on IQ Radio. Yeah, uh, Bob Baker, Larry Robertson, Bob, Danny Bob, Greenblatt, David Governor. They're smart people. Yeah, good, I, know, good. I know you only have the smart smart guys on your show. That's right. <laughs> uh, wait a minute, that includes me, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> never mind. You're in there now, Dan. <laughs> All right, so the, the categories were antimicrobial pesticides, which I don't think a lot of people in this industry realize. That's the like the overall category that includes sanitizers, disinfectants, bacteriostats, fungicides, fungistats, algistats. Uh, they're all kind of well, it's actually that. bigger than that. You know, pesticide also deals with, you know, rodenticides uh, you know, it, it, as well. Uh, so, you know, the, the word pesticide is, is big. Very big. You yeah. know, that, that's, all these things are considered pesticides. Okay. And then the next category was um, sealants which is, um, let me give the definition in the paper here. They're materials, liquids of varying viscosity or tapes used to seal surfaces, joints, connections, gaps, and openings. Then we've got resurfacing materials is another category. We've got coil cleaning compounds, and then we've got soaps and detergents, and then degreasers, and finally deodorizers. So, it's nice to have a paper that gives us those categories that we can use and that people who, for instance, write specifications protocols can, can refer back to and then use the appropriate category for the type of product they're calling for. What was, how difficult was it to come to a decision to use those categories, Dan? You know, this was actually uh, done uh, before I joined the committee. Uh, this was a, a group effort. What, what was presented to me, I'm a writer by trade uh, in addition to uh, being uh, involved in the HVAC cleaning industry. And uh, 
So uh, what was presented to me was a skeletal outline, and they said, we've been working on this for three years. Can you take this to it done? And I looked at it and I said, yeah, sure, I think we can do this. So uh, uh, at that point, there was a list of compounds that they had, uh, the group that you had gathered together, they had some talks on this. I think it was in the education committee, and they had, you know, when you've got enough uh, uh, HVAC professionals who have been at this for 20 years or more each, you know, uh, they, they were able to you pull from their memory every chemical that they ever used in, a, in, a, in an HVAC cleaning situation. So they, that's how it got put together. And, you know, we didn't really have anything to add to that. Uh, it, was, it was a good uh, a good list of items that, like I said, get used in HVAC systems. Also, uh, I have to one of the, I have to say just from a personal level, uh, I was very impressed by the uh, coil cleaning section that was uh, contributed by Bob Baker, and uh, uh, if, if you, I don't know if you guys have, you, have you ever had Bob on your show? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you know this guy. This is the uh, an encyclopedia of information. Uh, but he gave us a, a really, if you're really talking about coil cleaners, uh, that section is a great primer on coil cleaners, and it tells what the different types of coil cleaners there are, how they behave, uh, which ones you want to use under various circumstances. Uh, the pros and cons of using each, and uh, you know how you know soaking time and that sort of thing. It's just very impressive. I, when I got that, <clears throat> I've been in the business over 30 years, and, and there was stuff in there I didn't know. So <laughs> I was really pleased to, to be able to put that. And I thought NADCA members would really. In fact, I've had guys come up to me just just for that section. Oh, can you give me your original notes so I can see what you took out? <laughs> Well, hey, Dan, what we're going to ask to do is it's halftime now. We have to thank our sponsors. That will take a minute and a half or so. Can I ask you to call back in, um, just hang up and call back in? We're getting a little um, breakup. Do you use Skype by any chance, or are you on a... I'm fine with that. I'll, I'll do it right now. Yeah, sometimes the line's a little shaky, but uh, I'm sure it'll sound great when you come back. And. This is Radio Joe saying thanks to our guest, Dan Stratford, for the first half. He'll be back. We're talking about using chemical products in HVAC systems, the NADCA position paper. And when we come back, we'll go into a little more about the different types of categories, et cetera, of these uh, chemical products. So before we do, let's thank our sponsors. Thanks to our association sponsors, the NADCA is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. 
Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing services for the restoration industry. For fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing, learn more about them at www.netclaimsnow.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanclenfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back. Uh, Dan, do we have you back? Okay, still a little little bit broken up, but I think we're going to just plow ahead. It's not not going to be a problem, and uh, certainly in editing we can fix any problems. I'm curious, we were talking about EPA. Do you know if they have any plans for maybe posting a link to this document under their section on duct cleaning? That's a very good question. We have not uh, pursued that. Uh, we just... Uh, uh, NETCA is uh, just uh, about to start their um, marketing of this. Not marketing, but we're basically getting the word out about the position paper. And so uh, we're putting together the program of how we're going to go about doing that. And uh, uh, that's a great idea. Uh, we really hadn't thought of that, uh, but it's a great idea. I'll make sure that I bring that up. All right. Well, we I think it would, you know, a lot of people go to their site to look and see what uh, you know what they should do with their indoor air quality or their HVAC and so on. I think one of the things that we should go on the record with, Joe, is that I know from my experience that the EPA would get a lot of calls. They have complaint lines, and they're also what are called incident reports. Like if you make an antimicrobial product, and someone calls you and says, you know, I had a headache or this product was applied in my house, I think that it made me sick. Uh, the EPA does get a lot of questions and concerns and calls about the wide variety of chemicals that can be used in an air handling system, you know, whether it's a antimicrobial pesticide or whether it's a coil cleaner or whether it's a deodorizer and, and I think what happens is someone's using someone's performing a service in your house they're using a product you smell something you have some sort of reaction you know whether you sneeze whether you cough whether your eyes burn and what you do is the natural assumption is that this process that was going on in my house using the chemical is responsible for what happened and I think that one of the things the EPA doesn't always get that I do think duct cleaners get, and I do think that our listeners are going to get, is that in certain situations when we're cleaning an air handling system, particulate is going to escape, and particulate's going to get into that environment. And, you know, indoor environmental specialists know that chemicals can 
create indoor environmental problems and reactions. So can microorganisms, and also so can particulate. And I think what happens is this particulate thing, for me, is something that's missing because I think a lot of times uh, these products are pretty benign. But what happens is something happens, someone has a reaction that may be caused by particulate, but they didn't see the particulate, but they did smell something, and then they make these assumptions that, you know, what I smelled is responsible for what happened. Okay. I think that's a a valid point. Uh, Dan, any comment on that? Well, I, I, one of the things he uh, brought to mind here was the issues of, uh, of uh, sensitivities, you know, people having sensitivities to these things. And that was really one of the big uh, things that we wanted to bring to the uh, uh, membership attention, the NADCA membership. Of course, anybody else who's reading this paper, uh, I, like I said, I, I, I am a nonprofit and I work in the uh, medical field. And one of the things that I, I read uh, medical journal articles uh, daily. I, I get a list of them every day to kind of sort through them. And uh, uh, asthma, uh, allergies are on the rise in this country, actually around the world, uh, as, as is chemical sensitivity. You, when, when, when all of us guys were young, the, the term chemical sensitivity was unheard of. Uh, but now there are people, maybe not a whole lot of them, but who have but people who have this and we hear it from clients are you going to use anything with chemicals in it every once in a while we'll hear that and also like i said asthma and allergies are definitely on the rise and and especially with children and so uh it's important that but when you're using any chemicals uh, uh antimicrobials of course are important but any of these chemicals uh they can have sense them uh they uh by, by by which i mean you know some kind of a perfume or something like that uh you have to be or fragrances, uh, or they can just have irritating some irritating smell in them, or or just some some uh, volatile chemical that's going to evaporate and get into the environment. Uh, you really have to go over it with your clients because you don't know uh, if that particular. And, and it's possible the client doesn't know. You know, some of these chemicals they've never they've never been exposed to, but it's possible they have a sensitivity to it uh, that they don't even know about. So. Uh, uh, we we do recommend you know you, you let them know you're using these clients and then you get their uh, we actually uh, recommend that they sign an informed consent agreement authorizing the use of them. I, I have a question for you. Um, I think we've all had a ticket at one time. A state trooper or local policeman has brought us over and given us a ticket. Not found. Not found. <laughs> okay. And, and, and I think what happens is is that when a lay person is dealing with someone of authority, I think we're kind of hesitant to maybe say what we want to say. And and, and, and I guess what my question is, is having someone from the EPA uh, on this committee, were people willing to take them on, you know, if they didn't agree with the government's position? Did, did that occur? You know, that's really... That's really interesting that you bring this up because definitely uh, uh, it was uh, you know there were some areas of um, uh, I don't, I don't contention know agreement but but areas where they, they wanted to say one thing and 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 the EPA said no uh, the EPA rep said look it's this is this my way or the highway she didn't say that but I mean it was like basically because these uh, definitions for example were in concrete. 
they were this, they're written in stone. They're written in the official language of the EPA, so you can't alter them. For example, there's a uh, um, uh, one of the definitions uh, in the uh, antimicrobial section includes the use of, um, uh, of of a technical word, uh, log three or something like that. And I said, right. well, we we can't take time out to define this, and we can't. I said, does anybody know what this even means? And no, you know, she said, I don't care. I need to, <laughs> I have to use that because that's part of the definition. And we, we kind of went head to head on this. But uh, the fact is, is that we, you know, I understood. She was trying to, th- these are the official definitions, and so we had to stand by them. But, yeah, definitely, I have to say, Tracy Lance was great to work with. We had time, a number of times where we, we had some issues and, and, uh, of conflict, and she said, you know what, I'm going to go to my supervisors on this. And let me see what we can do. And so uh, there was definitely an effort on on their part to to work with us. And so because they they have a lot to gain too. They want this to be clear as well. They want uh, the public to understand what these issues are, and they want the uh, guys at NACA to understand them. So it it, it was uh, in their best interest as well to to make these things understandable. Uh, so you're yeah you're definitely right. When, in fact, going in. I believe I was told uh, by one or two people that, you know, we're not going to solve these particular issues. I don't know how we're going to get around these things. And I, like I said, I'm a writer. I've been doing this for a long time. So uh, what I've learned as a writer is oftentimes uh, people disagree about things because of the language in which they're said. But if you can find common, common language that they can both agree on, you can find a way to express something that they can both agree on. And so that's what we were able to do. Let me ask a question on a, a subject that comes up a lot in the um, HVAC cleaning, and, and especially when you get into microbial issues, and that is paints that are used. I'm going to use the term paints. I want you to fix me and, and tell me what the correct category is here. You, we, we will be, uh, on occasion, we will see projects where an antimicrobial paint is used to line the interior of uh, interior line ductwork with fiberglass lining. What category does that come yep. under? That would probably fall under resurfacing materials. We actually uh, have a section in there. It, it says, uh, and they, or they refer to it also as coatings. Uh, and it does say some coatings have antimicrobial ingredients. Uh, I'm reading from the document right now. Uh, solely to preserve the coating and to help retard the growth of mole and fungi on the coating film. Uh, so uh, there are some uh, resurfacing materials that have, as you said, they have antimicrobial ingredients in there. Therefore, they have antimicrobial properties. Uh, but the purpose of the ingredients are, is, is not to uh, tell the client, hey, this has an antimicrobial properties. The whole purpose of it is to preserve the coating itself, not to say that, well, if, if you get any, any growth in there, that this is going to help retard the growth. Uh, because that's not what it's registered for. You can only make the claims uh, on, the, on the product that it is actually registered for with the EPA, and that's, that's the explanation for that. Okay, I do see that under resurfacing materials, though. So these are resurfacing materials now. They are uh, coatings applied to surfaces that show signs of damage or degradation. So Now, are there other products that do more than that, that not only are a um, resurfacing material, but also uh, assist with control of microbiological contamination? 
You know, those are the only ones in the uh, that I remember uh, being brought up because uh, I remember Tracy uh, when we discussed antimicrobials. We discussed uh, well, what about anti- uh, products that have antimicrobial? Uh, um, uh, they have that, those kind of abilities, but they don't. Uh, uh, they're not registered that way. She said, "Yeah, well, those are those would, that would be resurfacing materials." And she said, "Yeah, they're they're not really there." To uh, retard the growth. So, as far as I know, those are the, that was the only category that really uh, had that uh, phenomenon with it. Okay. Okay. Maybe for Cliff, clarification, yeah, yeah. Uh, the EPA has something called the treated article exemption. Right. Okay. And and you know, for instance, you had mentioned Joe. You you weren't sure whether it was a paint, uh, and I think Dan. You know, clarify that it's a coating or if it's a resurfacing material that would be used inside. Uh, that product should have a preservative in it because you don't want to make the surface more vulnerable to microorganisms, you know, than it was than it was before. So you can't those preservatives that are in that product are there for the strict purpose of just protecting that product. It's funny though when you see the advertising for the products, it doesn't always look that no, way. No, well, I understand. You know, I think people have a. Te- you know, I think people do have a tendency to, you know, kind of play around uh, with with the words. I've got another question for you, Dan. You know, first of all, my compliments in terms of at the beginning of the document, uh, recognizing you know, like at the very beginning that there can be differences of opinion. And I, I think that that's yeah. good. And, 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 you know, personally, I really don't have, uh, you know, a dog in the fight anymore. Uh, the, the question that I have for you is, you know, Stephen Covey, one of the things that he said in The Seven Habits is begin with the end in mind. And I'm wondering whether this document was supposed to be biased or whether it was supposed to be fair and even. And and the reason that I bring this up is in going through the document, when you start counting pros versus cons, in many of these situations, the number of cons is greater than the number of pros. And I'm just wondering, uh, again, whether that was a point of contention, uh, you know, whether anyone caught it, whether, you know, because you know, it, it seems to me that, that in general the document is anti-chemicals in HVAC systems. I mean, that's just wow, my opinion. Wow, that's very interesting that you would have that perspective. Uh, uh, no, this was not the intent. So the purpose, the intent of the document was not to be biased, but was to be factual. And uh, what we found was that, uh, in some cases, uh, when we have more pros uh, or more uh, cons than pros on, on it, it doesn't mean that mathematically the, the, the cons outweigh the pros, uh, because pros could be a huge issue. And, 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 and the reason that, there, are, there, that, that might, there might be just one primarily, primary reason why you would use this product, and yet there might be some small reasons, uh, which uh, even though there are several, uh, they, they still don't outweigh the use of the product uh, or using the product. So uh, that's, they don't necessarily, uh, just because there may be uh, more uh, cons than pros, uh, we didn't really count them, to be honest with you. We, we, we just kind of listed the things that were the most uh, significant features about these products, whether they were pro or con. 
and nobody really thought, well, we got to make sure we have three of each or something like that. Uh, because, like I said, what, the pro could be enormous. I mean, there may be no other option but to use that product. Uh, but we also wanted to make sure what we listed the reasons why there's some hazard involved or one may one may want to question the use of it or something like that. So that's an interesting point. Now, we're all, we're, you know, we, we uh, the, the general line on use of chemicals is, uh, is to only, is to, well, we have it down several points in the document, but also, uh, uh, at the very first, one of the frequently asked questions, which we have at the end, it says, what is the position of the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NATCA, regarding the use of chemicals in duct work? And it says, NATCA does not recommend the use of chemicals within duct work unless there's a specific need. And so, uh, of course, that's within duct work. Obviously, when you're cleaning coils and, and doing some uh, other work in the air handler, uh, chemicals are pretty much a necessity. Uh, so... Uh, um, so, but but that's that's really what we the attitude was is use them if you need to uh, if that's what what's, what's required. But obviously you don't want to use uh, because there there's always a little uh, concern, like I said, with allergic response and your with with the people who are occupying the building or safety issues. There are some reasons not to use chemicals. So if you don't have to, great. But if you do, then then that's what they're there for. You know, I think one 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 thing I'd like to add to that is that you know earlier at the very beginning of the interview, one of the challenges that you said that you had were uh, duct cleaners, HVAC system cleaners who are not members of NADCA, you know, who were out there saying that they were disinfecting and they were sanitizing and. I think the big challenge is they were using these – they were applying something for the sole purpose oftentimes of making money and being able to charge the customer for a service, whether or not that service was or was not beneficial yes, sir, yeah. uh, you know, to the customer. And there certainly was and is a whole lot of that you know, going on. Absolutely. Dan, let me let me jump to a, a slightly different subject. We brushed upon, and we've mentioned several times, coil cleaning compounds. And I'm, you know, you mentioned earlier that when you were working with the group writing that section, you learned a few things. And you know, somebody that's been in the business for over thirty years, if you learned a few things, I would like to know what you learned <laughs> that you know um, that our listeners would be interested in. Okay, I, I don't mind uh, saying that at all. I, 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 what, what I was really pleased is when he broke it down into the fact that there's three uh, general formulas for uh, uh, coil cleaners. Uh, one is acid, and uh, I'm looking at the document right now. It says uh, these generally have a pH of three or below. They work by creating a chemical reaction with the aluminum of the coil fins that mechanically helps release the soil that is then held in suspension by the detergent until it is rinsed off. Then you have the alkaline. Uh, these cleaners were formulated by combining sodium hydroxide. He gives the mix there. And he said uh, uh, they combine different detergents. Uh, I'm sorry. He said these work in much the same way as the acid cleaners. They create a, a chemical reaction that breaks the, the soil free. But then he talks about the detergent compounds. And these, are, these can be quite a variety of, uh, of formulations, you know, but they... They uh, they uh, clean by by loosening uh, the uh, detergents are are basically also known as surfactants and it says uh, they uh, work by uh, acting on the water and they affect the way water uh, infiltrates the uh, um, the soil and uh, that's how they work and so uh, uh, and and in some situations uh, uh, he would use a uh, 
uh, an acid a solution. Some some situations you wouldn't. Uh, and he says uh, here, you know, select the product that represents the best balance between effectiveness uh, and potential for least equipment damage. Definitely, when you're dealing with coils, uh, because they are uh, uh, delicate sometimes, and sometimes they're they're close to falling apart. Uh, you have to be uh, careful in how you, how you go about uh, using them. You know. Uh, he, he's got some great, a great section here on application methods, uh, proper use of uh, the dilution that you, uh, you use for uh, cleaning coils. We've got uh, how to apply it. Uh, he even gives not to exceed uh, 150 psi. Um, I mean, it's really nice. Allowing soaking time. Uh, here it says, you know, uh, uh, four to five minutes is a good general soak time. Uh, however, don't let the cleaner dry on the coil surface, or it may be difficult to rinse off. Uh, just really beautiful uh, uh, little tips here, and, and uh, like I said, there were some. That, 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 those are some issues I wasn't. I didn't really know for sure myself, so uh, I was pleased to see it. Very simplest, yeah. Very you know straightforward, simple directions for how to use these products. I like that. I, I think that's something important for the industry to have. Uh, now, I'm just curious. What? Why would you use an alkaline versus an acid? I mean, do you have a, an example of a situation where you know? Acid would work better than alkaline, or alkaline would work better than acid. Absolutely, he, he mentions that in the document. He says alkaline cleaners sometimes work better with the greasy soil that is often found on indoor evaporator, chilled water, or heat coil, heat uh, pump coils. Okay. Uh, because both of these cleaner types, uh, you have the acid and the uh, the uh, alkaline. They can both cause uh, some fumes and that sort of thing. You want to be, make sure you have a proper. Uh, uh, ventilation. He also says the acid cleaner should never be used indoors as they release unpleasant and potentially dangerous fumes unless rinsed completely from the uh, from all surfaces in the air handler. So uh, uh, I'm trying to see if he's got anything. Uh, yeah, he said traditionally acid cleaners are used on condenser coils because the types of soils that are associated with their outside location are more easily removed by the acid formulation. Uh, yeah, again, great information. Uh, I, I, it's just all very good practical stuff. Well done. Hey, I didn't realize it's 12.55. We've got to uh, start our roundup Absolutely. here. Um, Dan, hang in there. We'll just run a quick clip. We'll bring Dr. Wow on, and uh, we'll, we'll wrap things up. Do you, are you, do you have to get out of here right at um, 9 o'clock? Well, 10 o'clock your time, I guess that would be. 11. 11. Uh, it would be about 10 o'clock my time, but about 9.15 i got to get out of here. Okay, great. We'll be, we'll be done well before then. Thank you. Yeah. Move him out, hit him up, hit him up, Let's get Dr. Wow on here with Dan. I, you know, I wanted to sing for my wife because she knows what a great singer I am, but Valve cut me off, unfortunately. All right, hello, Dieter. I can barely speak, let alone sing. Let's have Dr. Wow in yeah, here. Yeah, there's a good old Beethoven. Good old Beethoven. Dieter. I hope you listen. I'll guarantee you, you change your filters on a regular basis and take good care of your system in general. You well, probably... I have, I wanted to put in better filters, 
but as it turned out, um, the logistics down there in my laundry room are such, if I wanted to put something else in there, I can't walk in the damn thing anymore. <laughs> so I'm back to the 99 cents uh, uh, filter through which you can read the newspaper. <laughs> and uh, I know a lot of you well. I know a lot about filtration. <laughs> ah, yeah, I know one thing. That thing doesn't take care of cigarette smoke, which is not in my house anyway, but bacteria or mold spores or any of that. Now, it takes out the cat hair from my kitty cats, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, well you're, you're lucky. You, you've got a good uh, set of circumstances there that are uh, causing your duct system to not be dirty. Uh, so you're a lucky guy. Now, sometimes the systems are not dirty at the unit, but they can be dirty at the far end where the... Uh, well, the air next question. Exactly right. Where the transport of air is going down. Exactly. And therefore, therefore, dust can settle out. I Needless to say, I'm not going to put a hole in my, <laughs> in my ceiling to look at any of the ductwork. I don't know what is in there, so we need to have a little report uh, with uh, with uh, uh, television, uh, a camera on it, and let it go there. Yeah, sometimes you can use that, or maybe you've got a... Uh, these days, there are little boroscopes, you know, somebody can stick it in there with a little... Tried. We have... Joe has one. In fact, I will see... I will be seeing Joe in uh, August for our uh, classes here in Pennsylvania, and uh, we have a board. Maybe I borrow one of that and and try to look around it from the last register that you know the return register. Yeah, that would be probably a good place to look. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And another thing you made, and I have no explanation uh, explanation for it. Why the heck is asthma and, and allergies are going up all over the world? You know, uh, you are right. Uh, it, is, it is scary. It's, it's the like same with the autism situation, you know. It, yeah. It, yeah. And, and what's scary is, is it's happening to the children. Uh, but it's probably, I would expect that, yes. Yeah, I guess so, because they're more sensitive. And, and uh, uh, But it, it, is, uh, it is, and also they're just being born. So it's apparently, uh, I have to assume uh, that it's, a, I always assume it's a matter of toxins. or something going on environmentally. It's triggering this. I noticed. I, I know that the, they found with inner city children that um, a cockroach uh, uh, feces is is a big issue for the kids in inner cities. I, whether that's uh, a primary cause, I don't know. But uh, I don't. But it's a problem. It's a problem, and I have not yeah. seen a good answer for it. Yeah, I I had one. In fact, there was a study in England uh, where they uh, looked at a ton of children. And with vaccination and with huge vaccination, and I, I don't know whether it is really a good idea to overwhelm the body at a young age. Mm. Now, I, I know, I'm well aware of it, you can't get your kid into school until he or she is vaccinated. Yeah. In England, they found out that those kids who didn't get these massive vaccinations, it's fewer or no allergies. And asthma. And the other ones apparently we overwhelmed the system that the normal system given to us by Mother Nature mm. couldn't develop the way it should 
So I don't know. That's, that, that, that sounds reasonable to me. It, it, it makes sense to me. I have no data point whatsoever, <laughs> but I do have a little bit of common sense. Well, yeah, exactly. I think also it's been shown that, that kids who are, uh, this has been shown a number of times, kids exposed to live on farms and have fewer allergies than kids who live in the city. I uh, grew up in Germany during and after the Second World War. We didn't have running water, we didn't have electricity, we didn't have anything. <laughs> and I have no allergies, no asthma. I never, ever was vaccinated against anything. <laughs> wow, really? And nothing bothers me. And I have, as it turned out, somebody took my sample, and as it turned out, I have antibodies against everything. Wow. 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 Well, I wouldn't be surprised that that is a contributing factor because... You know, kids are parked in front of television sets, and uh, they don't really—they don't get outside, and especially the inner city kids, uh, they don't get into parks, and and uh, they don't have any pets around them, and that sort of thing. And right. They I'm said, either one day you're going to die from dirt poisoning. <laughs> I was up to my nose, and you name it, what the cows dropped and <laughs> we didn't have shoes. I was walking around barefoot. I had to go to the little creek over there to take a shower. Well, that was no shower. Yeah, to wash down. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and we ate only nanas. There was no processed food. <laughs> no, absolutely. You had to grow your own. You grow your own, or you ask the farmer next door to help you uh, pick the potatoes, and you took a pound or two home, and uh, we put There was no refrigeration. Wow. Uh, so we, uh, uh, in, the, in the village, which was, I would say, if there were 40 houses, it was a lot. Wow. Maybe 50 houses. And whenever somebody needed to slaughter a pig, well, everybody ate from it because you couldn't take care of one pig. Yeah. Because it was still in one day. No refrigeration, no ice, no nothing. No electricity, <laughs> no shop, no running water, and no gas. Man, I grew up <laughs> in a little in a little village. Isn't that something? Yeah, I'll you had say. to be tough. I know my uh, my my wife's mother grew up in Austria, not far from there, and uh, oh, yeah, she got pneumonia as a child. We were talking about it, and no antibiotics, you know. So no, no. So she just had to tough it out, and they said her right, hey, mouth or something, you know. She was sleeping for quite some time and very and very weak. Yeah. She <laughs> made her antibodies, and she's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it really toughens you up. I mean, it's a hard, it's taking the hard road, you know. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's the one that makes you stronger. You know, what do they say? What doesn't kill you makes Nietzsche, you stronger, and that's right. really yeah, true. That's kill right, you. and here comes the good question. You know, there are those do-gooders, and... And processed sugar, the white sugar, is terrible, right, for you, of course. But the one with the dirt in it, the brown one, that is really good for you, right? <laughs> that little speck of dirt will really do it for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, even that. let's, let's, uh, <laughs> let's, we could talk for an hour here, but uh, it, we're running late, and I want to let Dan get out of here. And before we do, Dan... Is, we always like to give – Cliff, did you have anything you wanted to add? Or I, I did. I just wanted to ask Dan one thing because I think it will be beneficial. 
uh, you know, for the audience. Uh, Dan, oftentimes when you either, when, when you look at a commercial building, you walk in, you make an inspection, you look up at the ceiling, you look at the diffusers, uh, you, they're soiled and the area on the ceiling around the diffusers uh, is soiled. Does that definitely mean the duct system is dirty? No, it doesn't. That's a great question. We get asked that all the time. And, uh, you know, it would be great for our business if we could say that it did. I mean, if that's the case on a return duct, uh, it might be indicative. It is indicative of what's inside because a return duct, uh, the dirt on the outside is what's being sucked directly into the ductwork. But on a supply duct, uh, when the air comes out, it circulates around the ceiling and creates deposits, and it is not necessarily indicative of what's inside the duct. So, uh, if, like I say, if it's a return duct it's loaded up, well, you can figure that, that whatever's collecting on that register is a good possibility it's collected on the inside of that duct, but it's not true of a supply duct work. Uh, you would think it would be, but uh, they're not. Thank you. And before we go, Dan, we always like to give you the last word. Anything you'd like to add, anything we'd missed, uh, anything at all? Well, nothing that we've missed, but you know, Joe, we were talking yesterday about uh, servicing celebrities, you know. And, and, oh, that's and, right. Uh, yeah. you, you said uh, you asked if I had any, any stories, and so I thought I'd share this. And we, we do. We uh, be living in uh, or working in California, you know, we service Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks and. Ozzy Osbourne. In fact, we just did a property for uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie not too long ago. Uh, and uh, we, uh, one of the guys loved they years ago. You remember Lloyd Bridges uh, when oh, yeah. we were kids? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Lloyd Bridges. They had they had to have they got to have breakfast. He used to do Sea Hunt and a bunch of movies. Yep, right. Uh, the, so the guys got to have breakfast with him one morning. They loved that. But one of my favorite stories was with Don Rickles. He's one of he's one of our clients and. Uh, uh, his, we were talking to his secretary and he said, you know, what kind of guy is Mr. Rickles? She said, well, let me tell you. She said, uh, I uh, had a baby. And uh, I, I Mr. Rickles for quite a while, I thought he wouldn't mind if I brought the baby in and uh, could watch the baby while I did my work. So she brought the baby in and uh, was doing her job and gives her like a home office. And uh, Mr. Rickles walks in and he sees the baby there. He looks at her and he said, uh, he said this is no place for a baby. He said, we're going to have to make some other arrangements. And she said, oh, okay. She was kind of surprised. So uh, uh, the next day, uh, she comes into work, and the place is filled with toys and, and baby and swings and stuff like that. And Mr. Rickles walks in. He said, now this is the place for baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not surprised. So, even though he's known as being a wisecracker, he's, he's really a sweetheart. You know? mm-hmm. Great to hear. Great to hear. Well, hey, thank you. I want to uh, give you my personal thanks, and I know Cliff feels the same way. We really appreciate having you on. We appreciate Natka being a sponsor of the show. And uh, look forward to talking to you again uh, down the road, Dan. Absolutely. It's been a great pleasure to talk to both you guys, Cliff, Joe, and uh, uh, look forward to maybe doing it again sometime. Thank you very much. Thanks again. All right. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to our guest, Mr. Dan Statford. We had a great talk about this NADCA position paper today on 
chemical products and HVAC systems. Also want to thank the Z-Man. Good to be back in it the is, same Joe, room It again. is, Joe. It is. It is. It is. We were a little rusty back. at first, but now we're back. And, of course, Roxy V, Val. Sure. Good job here at the old studio. Yeah. We'll be hopefully in the new studio next week, but who knows? We may be back here again. <laughs> and thanks also to our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. And most importantly, I would like to uh, thank our growing group of loyal listeners. Uh, please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. Yesterday is a IAQ Radio Production.